Amen. Amen. Lord, you are holy. You're righteous. You're faithful. You are just. Your word is true. And Lord, we ask as we go to your word right now that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every heart that is here. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel again. Good to have you here. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the the New Testament. We'll be in Genesis 35 on Wednesday, so let me encourage you to read ahead um, if you're going to be here on Wednesday. All right. Well, how was Thanksgiving? I pray that you had an opportunity not only to thank the Lord, but maybe that God used us to minister to unsaved family and friends. Amen? It's just a divine appointment, and we just pray that that uh, seeds were planted and watered, and maybe even some uh, reaped a harvest this, this past week. Pray for those who are away. God will give them traveling mercies. All right, First John, as way of reminder again, John, same, the Apostle John who wrote the Gospel of John, one of Jesus' inner three circle of Peter, James, and John. John is the one who wrote this letter. He writes this toward the, you know, the end of his life, 50 years or so after Jesus has ascended back into heaven. And at this point, we know that the Gnostics have come in. There's false teachers along with outward persecution. There's inward false teaching. The Gnostics were those who, they, you know, the word is for knowledge, where we get the word knowledge. They, ha- they thought they had a special knowledge that nobody else had. And the only way you could get this special knowledge was to come to them, and they would be the ones to educate you. And their special knowledge was in direct contradiction to the Word of God, like so much of the special knowledge we hear about today. Amen? Where somebody has some special word from on high, and then you compare it to Scripture, and it's not so special, and it's certainly not the Word. Amen? And so this is the letters being written with this kind of environment in mind, where he's going to be ministering to those who are dealing with this kind of temptation, as some of the things they said, as often is true with false teachers, sounds pretty good. One of the things they believed was, hey, your, you know, your spirit is your spirit and your flesh is your flesh and all matter is evil, so if you go out and live like the world, it doesn't really matter because you're already going to heaven in your spirit, so what you're doing in your flesh is irrelevant. You know what? What garbage. Amen? And as we'll see in this morning's text, that our belief should impact our behavior. And by our fruit they shall know us. And again, they were trying to justify or sanctify their ungodly behavior. They also were, there was a sect among the Gnostics that were very legalistic. And they were the ones who believed they had to torture themselves and suffer to somehow earn God's favor. So you had two extremes, those who said live like the world and those who said, no, you got to torment yourself and harm yourself in order to earn God's favor. And both of those are so contrary to the word and the will of God. So this morning we're going to pick up where we left off last time in verse 5. And as we come to verse 5, we're at this point, again, where he used the first four verses to kind of lay the foundation. Last week, if you were here, we titled the message, The Fullness of Joy. How to experience joy in the midst of trials, difficulty, and suffering. And he laid those foundations of the fact that it's our Savior our, God, our Savior hasn't changed and His promises haven't changed. You know, sometimes when things are crazy around us, we can panic. And things were crazy around them, but they needed to remember that God is still faithful. To pursue intimate fellowship with the Lord, and we'll talk about that more this morning. To boldly declare the truth to others. To stay focused on the fact that your fellowship is with the Lord and other believers and not the world. And know the source of your joy is in the Lord. So we come this morning, and if you're a note taker... We're going to look at principles for true fellowship with God. Can I say this, just sharing my heart with you? I think one of the biggest struggles in the church today is that a lot of Christians are Christians more in name than in behavior. And a lot of Christians don't, they know about God without having intimate fellowship with God. And I'm using that word Christian loosely. A lot of people who call themselves Christians really have never had a head-on collision with Jesus Christ. And they don't know what it means to walk in intimate fellowship with Him. Well, I want to talk about what it means to have true fellowship with God. First, if we're going to have true fellowship with Him, we must come to grips with the true nature of God. You need to know who He is and who He isn't. He's not the God that we created. He's the God who the Word of God tells us He is. Amen? And today the world is trying to change God and create a God of their own you know, understanding. 
But that's not the God of the Bible. Second, we need to see that belief is indeed reflected in our behavior. It's not just what we say, but it's what we do or how we live. And then third, we need to recognize our own sin and our desperate need for the Lord. How do we respond to our sin? We're going to see in this morning's text, some were ignoring it, some were excusing it, and some were acting like it didn't exist. And again, the world we live in today, some ignore sin, some make excuses for their ungodly behavior, and others act like it doesn't exist. But that's not how we respond. We do it by coming before God, broken and repentant, confessing our sins. So let's begin in verse 5 of the principles for true fellowship with God, coming to the to grips with the true nature of God. He is indeed perfect and holy, and He is the light of the world. So He picks up just saying to them, I've written you these things that your joy may be full. He's writing this in the midst of persecution and false teachers from within, and then He follows up with this in verse 5. He says, this is the message. You know, I like that. This is not a message This is not one of the messages. This is not my opinion. This is the message. Guys, there's only one message. There's only one gospel. There's only one truth. There's only one hope. There's only one way. There's only one God. And you know what? We can't get to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. Amen? And so as the false teachers were stirring up all this false doctrine and coming up with all these different paths and all these different truths, he says to them, hey, this is the message. And again, in a time when the truth was being polluted by false doctrine. Today we need to get back to the message. Today we're living in a time where the same thing is happening in many, quote, Christian churches today, where the word of God has ceased to be taught in pursuit of, you know, psychological feel-good messages instead. Guys, we don't need to be told how wonderful we are. We need to be told how wonderful God is. Instead of having a feel-good way of you know, preaching to our felt needs, we need to hear what the Word of God says about how our lives need to be transformed and we need to become more and more like Him. In a time when the truth was desperately needed, He's going to openly and boldly proclaim it yet again. And He speaks the, the truth in a, in a time of doubt and confusion. And again, as so many of these early Christians were no doubt struggling. Some of them might have thought, well, maybe these Gnostics are right. I mean, they're really learned people. You know, they're really smart. They maybe have a bunch of letters after their name. And, and again, you can have letters after your name and be smart, and you can have letters after your name and not be so smart. And guys, the Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, amen? And guys, we don't put our faith in man-made knowledge, but the Word of God. But these Gnostics may have you know, had really good arguments, and they're really sharp and really intellectual, and people can get drawn away by that. I can't tell you how many discussions I've had, and most often with younger people who maybe they heard some, you know, some lecture somewhere, and all of a sudden their whole faith has been spun on a dime. Guys... Don't put your faith in the wisdom of men, but put it in the word of God. One of the things that they propagated, as I said, was, hey, as long as you committed your life to the Lord, you can live like you want. Just ignore your sin. It's not a big deal. You don't sin anymore. You're a Christian now. So just live a life like the world. Don't worry about it. There were others who said, well, maybe the Gnostics have told me I've grown so much spiritually that I don't sin anymore. So I really don't need to ask for forgiveness, right? I mean, I've, I've gotten to the point where I'm sinless because I've walked with God so long. So some were saying, ignore your sins. Others thought maybe they had conquered their sin. And then there were even those who claimed, as we're going to see in this morning's text, that they had never sinned. I've had people tell me that. You know, have you ever talked to a coworker, somebody ask them if they're a sinner, and they go, No. Wow, really? Wow. You know what, guys? Until we see we're a sinner, we'll never see our need for a Savior. And part of what the Gnostics were doing was undermining the person of Jesus Christ, and this is what the cults always do, and then undermining our desperate need for Him. Making man better and making God less. That's what the cults do. Make man more, make God less. And this is what the Gnostics were doing. And there were those who were being confused by it. And so in the midst of that, here comes John saying, this is the message. Let's get back to the truth, the simple truth of Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. In these times when lies are being proclaimed with great boldness, there's a desperate need 
for a, an even bolder proclamation of the truth. And John is going to be the man to do just that. May we never reject the notion, the notion that every one of us is a sinner. And we'll talk about that more as we move on. So this is the message. Again, not a message, not one of many messages. Not, and it's notice that he speaks with authority. John is one who speaks. Guys, do you know that you can speak with authority? Not be, you know, your opinions, not so much. But you can speak this with authority. Amen? As you open the word of God, this is being prophetic. It's proclaiming the truth of God's word. And you can speak the word of God with authority. And I'll tell you what, few things aggravate me more than someone being mealy-mouthed about the word of God. Well, you don't have to believe this if you don't want to, and you can take it or leave it if you want. But, you know, you might want to maybe consider possibly in the future thinking about this fact. Stop. Just tell people this is the truth. Amen? Whether we believe it or not, we don't vote on whether or not the truth is the truth. The truth is the truth, whether you believe it or not. And this is John's heart. Here's the message. And here it comes. And I'm not going to water it down. And guys, if you respond indeed, your joy will be full. It wasn't his feelings. It wasn't his human intellect. But what did he say? What was the message? He says, that which we have heard from him. Man, I love this. The message is that which we have heard from the Lord. Guys, that's the message we need to proclaim. Not what we heard from our friend, not what we heard necessarily even from a, a Bible teacher, but that which we have heard and can find and discover ourselves in the Word of God. The Word of God is the answer. It is the message. It's not John's words, but God's Word which he had heard directly from God. Remember the Gnostics were making a lot of claims about Jesus, but here's the thing. They had never met him. They had never seen him. John, again, as I said before, few people on this planet, it might even be argued that none of the apostles was closer to the Lord than John. John was referred to himself as the, the apostle that Jesus loved. He was the one, as we've said in the past weeks, who was laying his head against the Savior's chest during that Last Supper. He was the one who was there at the cross when all the other apostles had abandoned the Lord. He was the one who took Mary, Jesus' mother, into his home. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He had seen him walk on water. He had been there to see the, mir to see the miracles. He had walked with the Lord. He had gone away with him to pray privately. John had an intimate relationship with him, and here are these Gnostics are saying false things about Jesus Christ, and John's writing right behind you to say, guys, this is the message, the truth that I heard, not about him, but from him. He's the answer, and the word of God is where we find the truth. They thought they knew better. They thought they had a special revelation. Then he says this, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. The word declare there means to announce. So John is simply proclaiming God's message about himself. Here's what God's word says. Here's what God has shown us. And I'm going to proclaim it to you. What John will tell us is what God has already told us about himself. Some people come to church and say, you know what? I've heard this message before. Guess what? We need to hear it again. Amen? Why are there four gospels? Why is there repetition in scripture? Why? Because we forget. We go out and do our work. You know, we go to work. Some of you came in this morning and don't lie. You don't even know what book we were in this morning. What book are we in again? Where, where are we? Where are, you know what I mean? That's what happens. And I'm not blaming. I'm just saying the reality is we get so caught up with life, so distracted by the cares of this world that we need to be reminded again and again and again the truth of God's word. And here we see John saying, I'm going to declare to you, I'm going to announce to you, I'm going to boldly proclaim to you that which you already know, that which you've already heard. Because guys, when the distractions come, we can forget the simple truths of the gospel. We can get our eyes off of the truth of God's word and we can get caught up in the cares of this life. Great example of what we should be proclaiming, not personal opinions or ideas about God, but what God has already told us about himself. Again, preach the word. So here's what God has already told us about himself. It says there, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Uh, that would be a great place for an amen right about there. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Amen? 
man, are we napping this morning? What's happening? So here's the point. God is light, and throughout scriptures, God and his glory is often described in the terms of light. All the way back in the time of Moses. Moses goes up Mount Sinai. You guys remember the story? If you don't, then you should be coming on Wednesday nights. We're going through the Old Testament, amen? But Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, and we know that when he's there, he desires this, to, you know, to see the glory of God, and God tells him he can't, but he says, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to put my hand over you. I'm going to let you see the backside of my glory. And just seeing the backside of his glory, Moses came down from the mountain, and he was shining. Guys, we spend in the time in the presence of the Lord, his light's going to shine through us, amen? And Moses was glowing in the dark for the Lord. He came down that mountain and he had no idea, but the people saw it. It also says in Psalms, Blessed be the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light, as with a cloak stretching out heaven like a curtain. On the Mount of Transfiguration, and remember that he exposed his glory, and when he did, the same thing happened again. The light shines so brightly. We know, guys, that when we get to heaven, we won't need the sun. Why? Because God's glory will illuminate the heavens. It says in Matthew, he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white light. It says in 2 Corinthians, this is a great passage of scripture don't turn there i'll just read it to you but it said in second corinthians you can look at it later chapter four it says but even if our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the god of this age has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of christ who is the image of god should shine on them for we do not preach ourselves but christ jesus the lord and and ourselves your bond servants for jesus christ for it is god who commanded light to shine out of the darkness who has shown in our hearts to give light to the knowledge of the glory of god in the face of jesus christ guys he is the light And in him there is no darkness at all. And nobody else can say that. Amen? He's saying, look, the Gnostics, what they're teaching you, they're teaching you that living an ungodly life is okay, but you've got to understand something. Our God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And light is holiness and perfection, but darkness is sin. And it's a representation of what separates us from God. It says in Ephesians, you are formerly darkness in darkness but now you are light in the lord walk as children of light jesus declared i am the light of the world he who follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life guys jesus christ is the light people are looking to be illuminated with the truth you want to be illuminated get to know jesus christ because he alone brings the light the light is a picture of goodness and grace You know what else is referred to as light in Scripture? The Word of God. Because Jesus is the Word, and the Word is a representation of Him. It says, your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So guys, He is encouraging them. He is exhorting them that God is light, and in Him is no darkness. God is holy. He's perfect. He's sinless, without even a hint of sin. Guys, when you bring light into a dark room, the darkness disappears. And when God is present, there is no sin. So guys, as we're going to talk about in a moment, we've all got an S-I-N problem. We're sinners in desperate need of a Savior, but God can't have sin in His presence. So what in the world are we going to do? Here's the word of encouragement. Here's the word of exhortation that is coming to them. When we're born again, we cease to walk in darkness. We begin to walk in His marvelous light. He exposes and convicts us of our sin by shining his light upon us in the person of the Holy Spirit. The only way we can walk in darkness is to walk away from God. If there is a problem in our relationship with him, it's our fault. Amen? If we start to walk in darkness, it's because we've walked away from the one who is the light. Amen? If we're near him, we can't help but glow in the dark. In him, there is no darkness at all. In him, sin is not okay. Sin is always a big deal. Amen? Often we get to this place where, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. Praise God for his grace. There's a doctrine running around in the church today that, hey, once you pray and ask 
the Lord to forgive you, you should never ask for forgiveness ever again. Then the Lord didn't know what he was talking about when he taught him how to pray. Right? What did he tell him to ask every day? Forgive us our trespasses. Amen? And that was a daily prayer. The point is this, guys. We are constantly battling with sin. And sin should not be something we ever take lightly. He is the light of the world. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So principles of fellowship with God, coming to grips with the nature of God. He's perfect. He's holy. He's the light of the world. Number two, belief that is reflected in our behavior. Verse six, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now remember what I told you. What did the Gnostics say? Hey, you can believe and still live like the world. Because your spirit is saved, it doesn't matter what your flesh does. This verse pretty much eliminates that entire doctrine, doesn't it? What did he say? If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. He's basically telling the Gnostics, liars, you're teaching a lie. And notice, he doesn't say, well, here's something you guys might maybe want to consider. In God, he's he's God of light, and in him there's no darkness at all. And so you might want to think, he doesn't say that. He brings the truth with authority, and we can do that when we deliver the word of God. Now notice what it says there. There's a key word here. If we say we have fellowship with him. One of the key words of all of 1 John is fellowship. It's in there 23 times. And the reason that we see this word fellowship, the word means community or communion or to have in common with. And guys, if we are to say we have fellowship with him, we have community with him, we have a relationship with him, we have it in common with him. Guys, that's God's heart for us is that we would go beyond knowing about him and have fellowship with him. Is Jesus Christ your best friend? Let me encourage you, or as my, one of my kids, old youth pastors used to say from the school that she went to, was, you know what, are you married to Jesus? Because we are the bride of Christ, amen? And we need to go beyond knowing about a distant, faraway God. The reason that the church is so lethargic in America today is we've gone from uh, you know, an on-fire, passionate love relationship with God to a distant religion. And we need to move past religion back to a relationship, amen? Back to a place of walking in the light, being filled with the light of God, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, being unashamed of Him, having fellowship with Him. Guys, if we say we know God, but there's no light in our life, something's wrong. If we say that we've been born again, but you know what? We live just like the world, something's wrong. Oh, Pastor Dave, wait a minute. Are you preaching legalism? Are you saying, you know, works-based salvation? Absolutely not. It's not our works that save us, but our works are fruits of salvation. Amen? It should be a natural outpouring. Guys, we ought to be radically different, especially in this county. Amen? That ought to be, dude, you guys are outside your minds. Yes. We're not walking in our mind. We're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so we see here this exhortation is coming to walk in the light. He is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And if you you claim that you follow him, if you say you have fellowship with him, if you say you're in community with him, but you walk in darkness, you lie and you do not practice the truth. So some of you are saying right now, wait a minute. Walk in darkness. Who sinned this morning? My hand's up. Thought life, right? Some of you were fighting with your spouse on the way to church, and you know it. Right? Ah, you know what? Yeah, I mean, right here, on the way to church, and then you get out of the car. Oh, bless you, brother. God bless you. How you doing? I told you that story, pulling up next to the light, leaving church one time, and this guy is just going after his wife, hammer and tong, and he looks over and, oh, hey, Pastor Dave. You know what I mean? And here's the point. The Holy Spirit's always in the car, Amen. But here's, here's the, the exhortation. Here's the encouragement. 
It's not that we will never ever sin again, but that word walk there means a lifestyle, a habitual behavior. We're not walking in sin. We're not living a life of habitual sin to where sin is the pattern of life. But guys, when we sin, we're broken by our sin and it drives us to confession, amen? That's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. That yes, we sin, but when we do, we're convicted by it. We don't pull one of these three things we're going to talk about. We don't ignore it. We don't act like it doesn't exist. We don't act like we're beyond sin. You know, we actually say, oh Lord, ouch, that was bad. You know, I'm going to confess a sin openly to you guys that happened just uh, two days ago. I'm at my son's basketball game, and I'm a dad. You know, sometimes, dads. And they called a foul on my son that was not a foul. (laughs) My opinion. They called a charging foul, and I said, all I said was, not not real loud, but I go, his feet weren't planted, just like that. Well, the guy that my son ran over, happened to, his dad happened to be sitting right in front of me. So he turns back and starts going after me kind of hard. And I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm in this discussion and so he got up and moved. And then after the game, I, I was so convicted. I had to go find this guy and say, you know what? I am so sorry if I said anything to offend you. That was absolutely not my heart. Will you please forgive me? And I want to tell you, I was convicted. I couldn't even pay attention to the game. You know, and, you know but praise God. I thank God for that because it reminds me that I'm a child of the king, not because I'm perfect, but because when I sin, he loves me enough to give me the Holy Spirit head slap. Amen? <laughs> to remind us. You've heard me say it. That's why I got no hair back here anymore. <laughs> Lord loves me. He loves you. We blow it. But here's the sign that we have fellowship with him. We can't walk in darkness and just continue to live a life of habitual sin and have no conviction. If that's you this morning, you need to be born again. Because if you're living that kind of lifestyle and you don't feel any conviction about your sin, then there's no Holy Spirit living inside of you. Because I promise you, the Holy Spirit is not going to sit by while you live a life of habitual sin and say nothing. Amen? So praise God for conviction. And he's exhorting them and encouraging them of the truth that belief does indeed impact behavior. Walking in the light, it's not the source of salvation, but it's the reflection of our salvation. And walking in darkness, living a life of ungodliness and sinful behavior, a life of rebellion and convictionless disobedience is not the mark of faith, but a mark of unbelief. You can profess belief with your mouth, but you know what? It's not, tell me about your faith, but show it to me. Christianity is often more caught than it will ever be taught. Amen? People watch us, and they watch how we live and how we respond. And let's face it, we're going through a difficult economic time, and there's a lot of unsurety in our nation right now. But guess what, guys? Our God is just as much in control today as he was yesterday. And guys, we have nothing to fear. And so, may we not respond the way the world does. And may we live what we believe. May we not just say it with our mouths, but live it with our lives. Guys, profession means nothing if it's not followed up with action. And true repentance is more than an emotional, tearful response to the gospel, but it's turning one's heart and behavior to the Lord. Again, no change, no transformation, and there's been no true repentance. Let me just say this. He says here, if you say you have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The latest study I saw, and I know there's been more, it was about five years old, 87% of people in America claim to be Christians just five years ago. So, they say they have fellowship with God. But, if they walk in darkness, truth is not in them. Amen? Amen? If 87% of Americans were Christians, every bar would be closed. Amen? Many clothing stores would go out of business. The movie industry would only make PG and G movies, and the PG ones would be better than that. Amen? There would be no debate about whether or not marriage is between one man and one woman. Amen? If 87%. We wouldn't be killing babies in this country. 
Millions at a, at every year. The divorce rate would be almost zero. We could cut the police force in half. The courts and jails would almost be empty, and the churches and mission fields would be full, and the Word of God would be the primary text in every public school in America. Guys, it's got to go beyond what we say we are, amen? If we really are, if 87% of America is Christians, then Jesus' name would be praised and held in reverence instead of being used as a curse word. And the internet would be the place to reach out to the lost, and its number one source would be to edify the body of Christ instead of being filled with pornography and gambling. Guys, one of the greatest evidence of salvation is how we begin to view sin. And guys, if we say we have fellowship with God and we walk in sin and it doesn't bug us, something's wrong. I know for some of you this morning, it's like, I shouldn't have come today. This was not good. (laughs) The Lord loves you enough to give you the head slap too. Amen? He loves you enough to draw you back into himself to say, you know what? It's time to quit playing church. It's time to quit talking about a faraway distant God. And it's time to enter into intimate fellowship and start walking with the Lord. The belief did not was not reflected in their behavior. They did not live their life as if their sin was a reality to them. You know, James deals with this attitude. He says, but prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks at the perfect law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a, a forgetful here, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Guys, we need to examine ourselves in the light of God's word and start walking in the center of God's will and not be satisfied with any part of our life being given over to sin. Amen? Then verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light. So God is light. He cannot, he will not, he does not change. He will never be like us. We need to be more like him. Guys, we need to stop trying to make God more like the world in reaching out to people. We need to let them recognize that he's nothing like this world. And that's why we so desperately need him. As Christians, spirit-filled, redeemed, and forgiven new creations in Christ, we now have fellowship with him, and it should be seen in our walk. If we're going to have fellowship with God, we must meet him in the light, in the realm of obedience to his word. Guys, the light of the word of God reveals truth to us. But guys, you cannot have the word of God revealing truth to you if you don't spend any time in it. Can I tell you, what kind of marriage would you have? What kind of father, son, mother, daughter, what kind of relationship would you have with those closest to you if you never said a word to them? If you never went home, it wouldn't last very long, amen? That's why we need to be in fellowship, and that's why we need to be in the Word of God. It illuminates the light. It illuminates the truth of His Word. And it says, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. You know, we need to stay current in our walk with God, and to do that, it requires confession. As we walk in the light, our sin is exposed, the Holy Spirit convicts us, and you end up having to chase a guy down at the end of a basketball game. You know, the truth is that when the Holy Spirit convicts you, have you ever been so convicted you had to stop what you were doing and just go get it right? Hopefully we should all be able to say yes to that, amen? I've told you before, I, you know, I've blown it with my wife as I'm on the way to go study the Bible. That's not good. You don't want to do that. And then I'm in the office studying and I'm like, I've got to go home. This isn't working. I've got to go home and wake up my wife, babe. You know what, I am so sorry. You have to, please forgive me so I can go study. You know what I mean? But really, so often what will happen is that, you know, there's this heaviness because God is convicting us because he wants us to get it right. Not so that he will love us, 
but that he can speak through us and he can use us in a mighty and a powerful way. Guys, confession should be something we do daily, hourly, moment by moment. We're saved and going to heaven, but we're still in need of daily forgiveness. Amen? The Word of God clearly teaches that. Again, the Gnostics said, we have no need for holiness, obedience, or confession. As long as they believed in their hearts, it didn't matter what they did in their bodies. That's their whole concept of how they could live, how could they, they could be outside of the will of God. But guys, as Christians, what we have in common is the Lord. What we have in common is the blood of Christ. What we have in common is that we've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We've been adopted into the family of God. But guys, it doesn't end at salvation. Salvation is where it begins. And now we're in that process of being sanctified. We've been justified just as if we never sinned. But now we're being sanctified, molded into the image of our Savior. And all of that comes with continued confession and brokenness before Him. What do we have in common as Christians? A common Savior. We're filled with the same Holy Spirit. And we have, and we should have, a fruitful walk. So principles for for true fellowship with God. Coming to grips with the nature of God. Guys, no matter how great you think God is, He's greater than that. No matter how holy you think He is, He's more holy than that. No matter how gracious you think he might be, he's more gracious than that. Guys, we can't even begin to imagine the greatness of our God. And guys, our problems are only big if our God is small, and that's why we need to be reminded constantly of the nature and the greatness of our God. Second, that our belief is reflected in our behavior, not just what we say, but how we live. And then third, recognizing our own sin and our desperate need for him. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So there were those who ignored their sin and then there were those who believed that they had gotten to the point where they stopped sinning. That's the sin of pride right there. Amen? You know what's interesting though, and I'll use his name because he admits it in one of his books, Harry Ironside, who's a great commentator, a man you smiley by God, for six years, he bought into this whole theology that you could achieve or attain sinless perfection over time. And then what happens is, you think you've attained sinless perfection, now you're always on edge and on guard, and you always have to make excuses for when you do sin. They start calling sins mistakes. Guy says he's sinless and he runs a red light and you go, dude, that wasn't so sinless. Oh, that wasn't sin, that was a mistake. We get a whole new word for sin. We start excusing sin and laying away sin and making things that sin no longer sin. When we get to that point, we're living in self-deception. And that's exactly what can happen. Now praise God that Ironside came out of that, but none of us will ever become sinless this side of heaven. Now I want to say this, that's not an excuse to sin. Well, I'm not going to be sinless anyway, so adopt that Gnostic theology, right? I'm not going to be sinless anyway, so that's not an excuse to sin. And I will say this, this does frustrate me, and again, I'm just being transparent, I know that shocks you, but I'm being transparent. Sometimes you'll be counseling with a couple, and the guy will say, why does she got to keep bringing up the past? I'm like, when did you do this? This morning. And then again on the car on the way over here, you know. But that's the past, you got to let that go. That's in the past. No, dude, that's in your present. Until you get right with the Lord about that. Amen? And repent doesn't mean to say you're sorry and do it again five minutes later. It means to turn from it. But here's the point. So much of the world we live in today has gotten to the point where, we know, where people no longer believe that they're sinning. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Guys, you know what's interesting? When you look at the Apostle Paul, 30 years in ministry, and after 30 years in ministry, he said in a letter to the Philippians, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, I press on. But then later he said, Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The Apostle Paul said, I'm the biggest sinner I know. Some of you might say, Paul, I got an argument with you because I'm a bigger sinner than you are. And the truth is that I believe the more we fall in love with the Lord, the more we're going to realize how much we sin. 
and how desperately we need the Lord. We'll never come to a place where we say we don't sin. We're going to be more and more broken about the sin that is indeed in our lives. We'll recognize that we are in desperate need of His grace while not using our promise of His grace, mercy, and forgiveness to excuse our sin. He says there, the word there, we deceive ourselves. The word for for deceive there, it's interesting. I don't know how else to interpret this, but the word for deceive is where we get the word for planet. So if you think you're sinless, you must be from another planet, because there's no way that that's true. You're outside of your mind. If we say we have no sin, we walk in deception, we deny the Holy Spirit's conviction. And guys, can I encourage you? Conviction should not be denied, but embraced. Amen? My kids often tell me, Dad, I know you pray for me a lot because I get away with nothing. And it's so true. My friends do something 15 times and never get caught. I do it once, busted every time. Cutting class and hanging out or whatever, and the teacher catch. This guy's done a 50. I go with him one time and I get caught. There it is. I pray a lot. And you know what? The point, the Holy Spirit and conviction of the Holy Spirit and God drawing us back into himself is a sign of his love for us. The greatest concern I have, one of the greatest concerns I have is to see someone living in sin and having no conviction. I get so broken and concerned about, now again, it's not my job to judge someone's eternity. I don't want that job. But you know what? As someone who loves people, I get burdened when I find out the lifestyle someone's living and then there's no conviction. There's an arrogance almost. And I think, Lord, that person either needs You know, they're backslidden a long ways away or they need to get saved, one or the other. And Lord, do whatever is necessary. You know, the world ignores sin. It makes excuses for it. And you know what? We need to stop doing that. You know, we're changing the word sin to make it more palatable. Even in the church today. You know, it's not sin, it's a disease. It's not sin, it's an addiction. It's not sin, it's, you know, it's my, it's the people around me. It's my environment. No, it's sin. And we're all sinners. And let's quit making excuses for it. Amen? And let's stop ignoring it. And let's quit quit trying to say we have no sin. Like the Apostle Paul, may we more and more come to the knowledge of our sin. Why? Because when we come to the knowledge of our sin, look at verse 9. This verse has been often referred to as the Christian bar of soap. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you don't have that underlined, get that fixed. That's a great verse. Amen? If we confess our sins, the word confess there doesn't mean a mindless verbal prayer. You know what the actual word means? To say the same thing. To see our sin the way that God does. To not make excuses for it, but to see it and call it for what it is. God brings it to our attention by His Holy Spirit. He makes us aware of our sin, and confession is a broken and contrite response to that Holy Spirit conviction. It's a godly sorrow that brings repentance. And when we bring our sin to Him, how does He respond? He is faithful and just to forgive us. God is faithful and just. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that when you confess a sin to Him, He doesn't go... First of all, I already knew you did it, but now that you confessed it, I'm going to beat you up with that for the next 50 years. You know who does that? The enemy. Amen? There is there now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The next time Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Amen? It's a bumper sticker. I didn't make that up. But here, you know, the point is, the point is, be encouraged to know that when you bring your sin to the Lord, He forgives you. And you know what? I'm as guilty of this as anybody. Have you ever really, really, really blown it and you felt like you had to ask Him to forgive you like 25 times? And you find yourself doing it all day long and the day after that and three days after that and five days after that? Guys, He forgave you the first time. Amen? And He's faithful to do that. The next time you come, He's like, what are you talking about? Because he's separated as far as the east is from the west. Amen? He doesn't forget. He chooses not to remember. I'm not going to remember that anymore. I've set that aside. 
praise God for the grace that he pours out upon us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from how much unrighteousness does it say? All of it. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad there aren't some sins listed in there that just don't qualify? And I have people come to me, well, how can that person be there? And how can this person do this? And how can you allow that person to serve? And how can that, well, I know that person's past. And I knew that guy when he was a drunkard. And I knew that person when he was married before. And I knew that person when, you know what? Any man being Christ, he's a new creation. And aren't you glad that God can use sinners or we'd all be, you know, out of luck? Can use any of us, amen? He's faithful and just to forgive us. He's a loving, gracious, and merciful God. Praise God for this Christian bar of soap. You know, I, we need to be praying more often, amen? And keeping short accounts with the Lord. He has forgiven you. You're going to heaven, but still when you sin and conviction comes, get right with Him. Bring that restoration with Him. Last verse. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. So some said, I no longer sin. Now they're saying, I never sinned. And this is more and more rare. But you still run into people like that once in a while. And again, they're saying, my mo- you know, the Gnostics would say, oh, my body sinned. I didn't. It's my body that did it. I didn't do it. Again, it was my disease. It was my addiction. It was something else. It was outside of my control. Guys, we need to stop putting our sin on anybody else and start taking the responsibility for our sinful behavior. Because here's what happens. When there are those ignoring sin and making excuses for sin, others just rejecting sin altogether, there's no longer a right and a wrong. There's no longer a plumb line of truth. And that's where we get into this moral relative age that we're living in today. There's no God, or at least no God, to be accountable to anymore. And that result is not only moral relativism, but an amoral society. You know, we used to be moral, then we were immoral. We knew what was right and we chose not to do it. Now we're amoral, which means there are no morals. And the only people that catch any heat are the ones that have them. Amen? You start getting called names. You religious fanatic, man. Why don't you lighten up? They start telling you, calling you things. Why? Because they reject the Word of God. Guys, the Word of God is the standard. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He forgives all sin and all are sinners. Amen? And that means if you're in the room this morning, you're part of all. You're a sinner. And guess what? You and I both need a Savior. Guys, the reason that men don't want to confess their sin is because if you confess sin, that means you need a Savior. The reason that they don't want to believe in creation and they'd rather believe that lightning hit a puddle and over billions of years a monkey turned into you, you know, from the goo to the zoo to you, right? They want to believe that rather than Almighty God spoke you into existence because if they believe in a creator, then they've got to believe in his word and they have to answer to that creator. If they could believe in a creator without accountability, I think we wouldn't have a problem. But you know what, guys? We're accountable for our sin. If we say we have sinned, have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. When repentance is present, believers have a strong desire for God to deal with their sin at any cost, even if it costs them something personally. They would rather lose everything than have their sin unchecked. Lord, rise up a church like that, where we would say, Lord, if I lose everything, I'm not going to leave my sin unchecked. I'm not going to leave my sin unconfessed. Have a holy desire to do as well. Let me close with a quick story. I had a guy in our men's Bible study. I'll never forget this. How God was just doing a radical work in this guy's life. Started coming to a, a men's Bible study we had. There was like eight guys we met every Saturday morning at 6 a.m. And we would just pray together and study the word. And I just watched this guy get on fire for God. And then he came to me one day and he said, you know what, Pastor Dave, can you pray for me? Because I'm going to go to my company that I've worked for for 12 years and confessed to them that I lied on my application. I didn't really graduate from college. And he had a job making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. He had never told his wife that he had lied on the application. But he was so convicted by the Holy Spirit that he went to his wife and told her, and she was like, oh no, we're going to lose the house, we're going to lose everything. And he was in aerospace. 
And guess what? You lose one job, nobody's hiring you. But he was so convicted, he said, you know what? If I lose the house, if I lose everything, I don't care because I need to stand right before the Lord. And he went to his boss and he confessed, you know what? I had three and a half years of college. My wife had a baby. I didn't graduate. I lied on my resume. He said his boss looked at him like he was out of his mind. Dude, you've been here 12 years. Why in the world are you telling me that now? And you know what that turned into? A witnessing opportunity, not only to his boss, but everybody into his department. And a couple of guys ended up getting saved because this guy responded to the conviction of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to Almighty God and tell the truth. Lord, help us to live like that, amen? And trust his word. And you know what? They, I think they, he said they, I can't remember what they did. They did something like they, you know, reprimanded him or something like that and, and told him, hey, we want you to take the courses you need on correspondence and get them done the next couple of years so your degree's good. He said, I'll be happy to do that. And he did it. Our God is faithful. And guys, may we not ignore sin and may we not ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit and may we never act like sin is no big deal because it is a big deal. You know how big a deal it is? This is how big a deal it is. Amen? How you determine how heavy-duty sin is, the price that had to be paid. So principles for true fellowship with God. Come to, the, come to grips with the true nature of God. He's perfect. He's holy. He's the light of the world. He's greater than you think. Put your trust in Him. Number two, believe belief that is reflected in our behavior. Guys, our behavior should be a reflection of what we believe. Not just what we say, but how we live. And then finally, recognize our own sin or our desperate need for the Lord. When it comes to our sin, may we not ignore it, make excuses for it, or act like it doesn't exist. Become broken and repentant, confessing our sin to Almighty God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, each of us, we come to you humbly and broken this morning. Lord, I know, no doubt, in all of our minds as we've been going through your word, Lord, maybe you're bringing conviction even now over things in our lives that need to change. Unconfessed sin, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that we're going to heaven. You've forgiven us. But Lord, may we not be content just having parts of our life where we continue to walk in sinful behavior. But Father, may we be broken over our sin. May we come with contrite and repentant hearts before you. Lord, I also pray if there's anybody here this morning who's only had a distant relationship with you, known about you, but never really entered into fellowship with you. We pray, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, that you would draw them unto yourself. Lord, they would take the time after the message to come up and talk to one of the pastors and just make, that, make it known that they want to give their life to you this morning. And Father, for those of us who have walked away, or maybe, Lord, we've allowed that for there to be areas of our life that we've lived in compromise. Lord, I pray that this morning, that as your word has convicted us, that we would get right with you. Lord, that we would not leave here without making you the priority yet again. And Lord, we thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive us. You're such a loving God, a gracious God, a merciful God. Lord, why are we afraid to come to you when you're so gracious? Lord, why do we hold back from you when you know already? Lord, help us to be transparent before you. And Lord, to live lives that bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.